0: Shalom, shalom. Welcome, world changers. Hope you're all having an awesome, awesome evening or day, wherever you are in the world. We are we are, we are actually uh, looking at doing and uh, talking about a lot of things here. We're, we're uh, going to read about uh, David, the story of David and Goliath. Uh, we're going to read several chapters from 1 Samuel. We're also going to read a couple of Psalms. And I want to get to a, a comment here. So, yes, it's going to be a night, another night packed full of reading the scriptures and fellowship question and answers. And by the way, you guys have any specific questions for me? I will get to as many as I can, but just in case there are a lot that that's in the live chat, um, if you just put at Christopher um, at, the, at the very beginning of your uh, question, uh, I will uh, for sure at least more likely find your comment and answer it then. Okay guys, so I'm gonna be uh, live streaming on uh, Podbean as well, the podcast. So uh, let's see what we got here in the chat. 1 John 2 26 says, Shalom. Shalom brother, good to see you. Psalm 94 says, Shalom. Shalom, welcome, welcome, blessings. Byron says, Shalom, Shalom Byron. Good to see you, welcome, blessings multiplied. Vinny says, shalom, everyone. Shalom, Vinny. Mike says, greetings from the thriving metropolis of Omaha, Nebraska. Shaloms. Yes, shalom to you as well. Welcome. Blessings, blessings. Mark says, shalom. Trish says, shalom. And yeah, okay, so we got some questions here. Um, Vinny Actually, you know what? Before I get to those questions in the live chat, I promised Mike that I would uh, speak to his comment that he uh, that he put on one of my videos. Um, and it was yesterday. I think it was yesterday. So I'll take it. Uh, I'll take it first come first served here. So let's do that first. I'm going to let's talk about what Mike says here. His comment was Matthias was chosen against the orders to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit, fire baptism in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Coincidentally, we never hear from Matthias again. Okay, so yeah, I did speak about this um, several times in in I don't know how many videos uh, on YouTube especially. So there's a few things that need to be understood here. First of all, when I say that Paul was not part of the Twelve, that does not mean that I say that he's not an apostle, okay? Um, and I'm not sure, in I'm not speaking directly to you, Mike, on this because I'm not sure exactly where you stand or what your view is on wh- when it comes to uh, the definition of an, of an apostle. But for the sake of others that may be listening to this, um, an apostle, actually, it's very misleading, actually, because... The word apostle in the New Testament is just a transliterated English word from the Greek, apostolos. And that Greek word is really nothing special. It just means one that is sent. If Mr. Smith sent you to ask me a question, then you are, by definition, an apostle of Mr. Smith. Nothing nothing special about that. I mean, it just simply means one that is sent. So, Paul claims to be an apostle of the Lord. Okay, so yeah, that, that's special. If if indeed he is an apostle of the Lord, uh, that means that he believes that, uh, or at least he claims um, that he was sent of the Lord. Now, does that mean that everything that he says, or any apostle for that matter, does that mean everything they say is the word of the Lord? Of course not, no. Actually, there are way more than 12 apostles. There are who knows how many million apostles. I mean, how many million of how many million people did did the Lord actually speak to and say go and preach my gospel? How many of us? How many of us? Right? So there are potentially millions, perhaps even billions of potential apostles, okay? Of the Lord. Everyone that Yeshua called to do something, even if it's not preach the gospel, maybe it's feed the uh, feed the hungry, or you know, um, help the the widows, or you know, give to the poor. Whatever the case is, it doesn't have to be words; it can be deeds. So there can be billions of apostles. Okay, um, Paul claims to be one of those umpteen millions, <laughs> thousands, or millions of apostles. However many there are. Um, so that's one thing I need to get out of the way. When I say that Paul is not part of the 12, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, in that statement, I am not saying in and of itself that he is not an apostle. Anybody that the Lord calls to do anything is an apostle. Okay? So, I mean, if somebody called you to come on here and put something in the, if, if the Lord called you, to write something in the live chat and you, and you type it out and press enter, you are in effect an apostle. You are. Okay? So that doesn't really mean anything all that out of the ordinary, especially when it comes to Christian. So here's the thing. There were 12 disciples, not apostles, disciples, students, those who went through the entire course of Yeshua. Yeshua was a rabbi. He was a teacher. Like a, you know, college teacher, university professor, he was a teacher. And so he chose his 12 disciples. Incidentally, he did not choose Paul to be part of that 12. He could have, but he didn't. And so those were the formal in quote unquote enrolled students. They were the they were the official students, the 12. Now we do have Others that did tag along, right? We know from Acts chapter 1, there was Joseph and Matthias. Those two of probably, who knows how many, many probably, that actually tagged along. Right from the baptism all the way through to the resurrection. So those who tagged along were like the quote-unquote auditors of the Course, the auditors of the course those who were there let's just go quickly to acts chapter one and we'll look at it don't worry mike i i know you're probably thought about yeah you know i'll get to i'll get to you what you what you said but i just want to let's just lay out a foundation especially for those who don't really know too much about the story okay um just looking at um Okay, so talking about Acts chapter 1. Let me just let me just share this so you guys can see what I'm reading here. Acts chapter 1. Um we have speaking about Judas, you know, he was he was a one of our number and shared in our ministry. Um, okay, so you know, he fell headlong, his body burst open and his intestines spilled up. by the way, that's that's different story as if you look at, if you compare this with, to what it says in the Gospels, this is a different story, by the way, okay? <laughs> it's a different story. It doesn't necessarily line up at all, okay, but just 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 as a side note. I mean, that's something else we can talk about another night. Um everyone in Jerusalem heard about it, okay, so yeah, so, so that for Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted and let, let there be no one to dwell in it and may another take his place of leadership. Okay, so that's a command, okay? That, that's that's what God wants. Uh, that's written in the Psalms. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men uh, who, who have been with us the whole time The uh, the Lord Jesus was living among us beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So let's talk about this very, very uh, quickly here. Okay, so why would it be necessary for for all of the 12 disciples, not just the 12 disciples, remember, it was not just them. There was Matthias there, there was Joseph there, and assumedly maybe many of the other people who were, who were actually eyewitnesses. Remember, Paul wasn't an eyewitness. He was not an eyewitness. He did not qualify. He wasn't there for the baptism. He wasn't there for all the teachings. He wasn't there for all the miracles. That's that's why he didn't talk about it. He was not there. Not an eyewitness. Where's Paul? Nowhere to be found. So why was it necessary for them to choose someone before Acts chapter First of all, let's make it very clear. They did not absolutely did not disobey any command. The commandment of the Lord was do not in in the in the gospels. Yeshua said, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel." Okay? So he in effect he made them all apostles to the Gentiles. They were they were the original apostles to the Gentiles, not Paul. So Jesus said basically at the end of his at the end of his stint here on earth okay after his resurrection he said, okay basically you got you guys were trained, you guys went through the school, you were my disciples, my students you're fully trained now you know basically it's all done. there's no more for me to do. you guys are you graduate. so go and take the same message. He didn't say preach a different gospel. Preach the gospel. He wouldn't train his 12. Because you see, a lot of people think that what Jesus said was only for the Israelites, and what Paul said is for the Gentiles. No. Uh, yes, Jesus, when Jesus was uh, walking this earth, he said, I am, I'm here right now for the Israelites. Like uh, I, I come for none except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. However, obviously, when he was teaching his disciples, he wasn't, tre- he wasn't teaching them for nothing, okay? Because at the end, he told them to go out into all the world. He told them to go to the Gentiles. Obviously, the teaching was for the Gentiles. Otherwise, he'd say, okay, guys, now, um, you know, you guys are going to have to learn something else because you guys are going to have to learn a different word or different gospel because now... I'm sending you out to the Gentiles, and so the the gospel that I preach to the Jews is not applicable. Now, what you're, you know, uh, now you have to learn, now you have to be retrained. You have to be disciples all over again. You have to be students all over again. No, of course not. Okay. Obviously, the evidence is we have evidence. The circumstances dictate to us that he trained his disciples. At the end of it, he says, go and preach the gospel to all the Gentiles. Of course, take everything you learned. I was your rabbi. You were my student. Take everything you learned and now go out into the world, all the world and preach it. But wait first. Before you go go out and preach it, wait until Joel chapter 2 happens. Wait until the promise of the Father comes. He said nothing about, oh, don't replace Judas. He did not give that command at all. So they did not disobey that command. Actually, in Acts chapter 1, it shows that they understood that there must be somebody who is officially and formally assigned Judas' place before Joel chapter 2 happens. Because there must be somebody officiated into that position to get ready for that, for that specific outpouring. They understood that Yeshua was serious. Don't go to to the Gentiles. Don't go preach the gospel to all the world until you get the anointing for all the world, until you get that, until you experience, until the spirit that is destined to be poured out upon all flesh, Gentile flesh, is upon you. So then you can take that spirit and go into the Gentile world. So they're looking, okay, we got one missing here. We, We know that there has to be 12. Yeshua specifically chose 12. And Yeshua specifically said in the Gospels, one disciple for each tribe. He said, the 12 of you will sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So, if there was only eleven, that was maybe I don't know what you call christened in the spirit, however you want to put it. If there was only eleven that was officially, formally in that place when the spirit was poured out, then the then the one then the twelve. If there if there ever would be a 12 one that would come around, they would not be. They would not be anointed for that task. They would have missed it. So they understood that that Judas had to have been replaced as quickly as possible. They understood that. And they did it in exactly the right way. They said, we need somebody who really has experience. Right? So they're like, we need somebody it, it is necessary, not optional, like, well, I think, you know, I think we're going to jump the gun and try to replace Judas here. No, 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 no. It is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us, who have been with us, okay? There's, there's, a, there's a requirement. The whole time, the whole time, the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from, from, from us. Why? Why would they want someone that was there, eyewitness, they heard with their very ears, firsthand witness? Because, first of all, not only just because they're a witness, but because they received the training that was necessary for the job. Suppose you are in a private plane. Let's say you're flying, you know, 20,000 feet above. Let's say you're, you're, you're flying 20,000 feet altitude in a, in a small little Cessna. Okay? You're flying. You've got the pilot and you've got two other men there with yourself. One of them, the pilot has been trained. He's been through the the school. He's been trained. John, his friend wasn't an offic- wasn't a formal student. Like he wasn't enrolled. But he was there for the whole training. He was trained too, but he wasn't just formally, like he just didn't have the uh, certificate on his wall, okay? But he went through the exact same training that the pilot did. They have the exact same experience. It's just that the pilot has the papers and Johnny doesn't. But Peter, well, he wasn't trained at all. He wasn't even there for the school. But he says that, oh, I met the trainer uh, briefly, This maybe once or twice, and and the trainer spoke to me a few sentences. Now, let's say, for example, you're up there. Your life is on the line. The pilot has a massive heart attack and and dies in in the cockpit. You have a choice. You, you, You either allow Johnny to take his place, the one who has been to the same school as the pilot. He has been through the same training as the pilot, everything. The only difference is the pilot has the papers and, and Johnny doesn't. Or do you want the other guy who says, well, um, I met the trainer maybe once or twice and the trainer told me a couple of things. Uh, which one would you put your, your life which one of those guys would you put your life into their hands? I think anybody with any kind of common sense would say Johnny, of course, because Johnny was there for the school. He went through the training for Pilate, although he does not formally, but he's, he was there with the, with the pilot even. Whereas the other guy, he wasn't there. And that's the way it was with Matthias versus Paul. Matthias was there from the beginning to the end. Paul wasn't. Paul was definitely, absolutely, unequivocally not qualified to even think about replacing Judas. Anybody in their right mind would see that. So, it says they nominated two men, Joseph and Barsabas, uh, who's known as Justice and Matthias. Okay, they prayed. They're doing the right job. If 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 the Lord commanded them not to replace Judas until after the anointing fell, I don't know why he would. It, it doesn't make sense. You should have you should have that seat filled for the for the event. Hello. I mean, you should have that seat filled for the event. If he didn't, but if Jesus said, do not replace Judas until after, after the, after the fact. um, Then why would, how would, how would all of the disciples, all of the disciples were together in this? They were there. They were there waiting for the promise of the Father. Not all, not just all the disciples, not just the eleven, but also probably Mary, probably Mary Magdalene, probably, and of course we have Matthias and Joseph. They were all there. Peter said it's necessary to replace Judas now. They all knew that. That's another point. They all knew that, and not one, not one of who knows how many umpteen scores of, of them were up there in that room. Not one objected to say, oh, you know what? You better wait because the Lord says to wait. No, the Lord said to wait before you go into all the world. He didn't say wait before you replace Judas. Totally different topics here. He said go into all the world and preach the gospel, but wait first for the promise of the Father. Nothing to do with Judas. Nothing to do with Judas at all. But they were—they were confident enough that they were not. I mean, how how could you or I or anybody charge them, accuse them of disobeying God when they themselves were so convinced that it was nothing that they were doing the right thing? They even prayed about it. If they—if any of them thought it was the wrong thing, they wouldn't be praying about it. They would. Then, then they prayed, saying, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen. They knew that God chose somebody to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to uh, to go where he belongs. Perfect, perfect opportunity for the Lord to reveal to one of the umpteen dozens or scores of uh, of followers of Jesus that were there. Perfect opportunity for the Lord to reveal to them Um, no, you guys are doing what's wrong. Uh, Don't do it right now. No. Don't do it right now. No, the Lord did not. The Lord did not command them not to replace Judas. The Lord did not, did not, even after the fact, another point is that the Lord did not rebuke them for doing it ever, ever. Other things, when the disciples did things, the Lord rebuked them for it, but not for this. Why? Because it's the Lord's will. Verse, verse 26, then they cast light and the lot fell to Matthias. What does that mean? That means the Lord showed them it was Matthias in accordance with the all of the word of God. From Genesis to Malachi, that period of time when they had the Tanakh with them, we read. We, I mean, we read it last night. We can. Um, we'll be reading. We'll be reading many, many instances when this is how God operated. This is how God chose people by lot. Whenever there was and uh, they didn't know for sure. Whenever some, if they were in, in doubt or they didn't, they didn't hear a direct word from God. The Lord always showed people who. He chose by lot. They did everything right. They replaced Judas according to Psalms. Okay? They prayed about it. Do you think that their prayers, uh, they their prayer, I would dare say that their prayer power, the prayer power of the 12 disciples who lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, touched him, heard his voice, is a million times more than anybody, you or I or anybody alive today. They prayed about it. The Lord did not rebuke them. The Lord did not stop them. The Lord never rebuked them. Besides that, there's another piece of of, of, uh, of evidence we have here. So, I mean, let me just go back to that um, that comment. Uh where'd that comment go? Right here. Okay. So Matthias was chosen against the orders to stay. No, no, the orders to stay was was to stay before you go and preach the gospel. They obeyed those orders, as we see in Acts in the book of Acts. Uh, coincidentally, we never hear from Matthias again. Okay, so have you ever thought that that same argument can be can be made about all that, what nine or ten of all of the other disciples? most of the other apostles or disciples? You can use the same. You can you can say the same. Well, we never hear from Thaddeus again. Well, we ne- we never hear from Bartholomew again. We never hear from Andrew again, do we? Hmm. Not only that. But out of all of the rest of the disciples, Matthias was actually uh, brought up by the church leaders just after the fact, okay? Just after the days of the books that the New uh, New Testament books were written, we have, for example, and I'll show you, there's the writings of Irenaeus, okay? Irenaeus, um, he was a second century church father, Okay, he 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 came on the scene just after the twelve disciples left. Okay, so he knew, of course, of course, he knew uh, a lot more than uh, than any of us would know. Uh, and and um, here we are here, the writings of of. I'm just pulling it up here. The writings of, Irenaeus is very clear remember picture this he was born about 130 a.D he was born just about the time when the disciples were just the 12 disciples you know maybe the last one passed away not too long before he was born okay he came in and see, came on the scene he became one of the greatest church fathers of this of the second century he would know all of the ins and outs he would know what become of every one of the of the twelve he was the church leader back then. He would definitely know who his predecessors were, okay? What did he say about Matthias? He said, but Judas was deprived of his office and cast out while Matthias was ordained in his place. And we've got other early church documents too. I don't want bur- to bog you down with it, but do your studies, read up on it, read up on church history. Why did you not hear about Matthias again in the book of Acts? Well, a couple reasons. First of all, the book of Acts was written by Luke, and Luke is a homie of Paul. So the whole thing about the book of Acts was to introduce Paul into the situation. Okay, so, I mean, it's inherently biased because it was written by Luke. Okay, so you're not going to hear much about Matthias, just just like you. Actually, we hear more about Matthias in the book of Acts than we do about Thaddeus or Bartholomew. Or, you know, many of the, most of the other 12. The history of the church teaches us that Matthias teamed up with Andrew and did exactly what the Lord commanded them to do when when the Lord commanded them to do it, after Acts chapter 2. They went out and they went north of the Holy Land and they went in around the, uh, what would be today would be like Turkey and up around into uh, Russia and so on and so forth. You do your studies. So we got many different points. Number one, apostle does not mean disciple. Number two, it was necessary for for Judas to be replaced before Acts chapter two, or else that seat would have been empty. It would have been incomplete. It would have been the eleven instead of the twelve. They knew that there must be twelve. One for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. They knew that. They knew they had to replace Judas ASAP. Number three, it had to be somebody who was with them, who was an eyewitness, who was trained, not some Joe Blow, Paulie, who, Smalley, doesn't matter who it is, if he wasn't there, from the baptism all the way to the resurrection, he was not qualified just like nobody in their right mind would allow a so-called any Joe blow to grab the to go into the cockpit of an, of an airplane who was never in pilot school. It, it did, did not go to the school to learn how to to fly a plane. Well I met I, I the trainer met me once. yeah okay, whatever. That's what happened to Paul. the quote unquote trainer met him once. Yeah, how many millions of other people did the trainer meet? Paul is who he is. At best, I always say, at best, he was just another brother who tried to do the best that he could do, given the circumstances that he, he was under. I have a lot of questions of how he operated, but whatever. Whatever. I mean... At best, at worst, Paul was nefarious. So at worst, he was, you know, it was uh, instead of him um, using his uh, powers to persecute the church one way, he used his powers to come in the back door and destroy the church from within at, at worst. And by the way, that's what the Clementine homilies does teach if the theory is true that Simon, Magnus is in fact a code name for Paul. And that if in in you know if that's true that would explain the apostles Paul and Barnabas namely perhaps even others like maybe others like some of the, uh, Paul Silas or other other uh, roadies that that was with Paul at the time that was spoken of by the Lord to the church in Ephesus in uh, Revelation chapter two. Now again, don't don't take me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I am not saying this is ipso facto. This is this is this is actually, you know, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt, what it's you know what the case is. I'm not I'm not doing that. I'm just saying, hey, it looks like a possibility. Paul said to Timothy just before he passed away. All in Asia have forsaken, ha, have forsaken me. All in Asia have forsaken you, Paul? Why would that be? The center of Asia was Ephesus. That, w- that was like the, the capital of Asia at the time. So he was saying the Ephesians, the same people that you said, you're saved not by works, but by faith that's those those same people they rejected Paul in Paul's own words they rejected him why why there are different theories some people think that uh, Andrew and Matthias was up in that area or maybe maybe one or two other original official of 12 disciples and they taught the real gospel. And Paul comes around to the Ephesians and says, hey, you're not saved by works. You don't have to worry about the law anymore. Yeah, you just, you know, it's just by grace through faith. And they're like, "Uh, no thanks, Paul. The, The Ephesians rejected Paul. Paul said it in his own words, 2 Timothy chapter 1, if you want to look it up. Now, at the end, you know, when all was said and done, in Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus himself was speaking to the ones who rejected Paul. You know what? The Paul worshipers today, the Paulians today would be, oh, no, you rejected Paul. How horrible of you, Ephesians, to do that. Oh, my. Like, you don't you know you rejected the apostle of the Lord? Oh, no, don't you know that you rejected the only one that, that the Lord sent to you? And you're basically rejecting the Lord. You're rejecting this, You're rejecting God himself. Christians today would would charge the Ephesians with great <laughs> sin for rejecting Paul. I've been charged. I've I've been accused of blasphemy just by just for just for questioning Paul. How much the Ephesians who actually rejected him. So when when the Lord had my my question is this to anybody. Who would who is dead set against what I'm saying? Again, don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying it's a fact. I'm just saying it looks. <laughs> um, hey, I mean, it doesn't look good. My question is this: If you're dead set against this, my question to you is this. Actually, two questions. Number one, why did why did Jesus not say anything to the to the Ephesians? about rejecting Paul, why did he not rebuke them, I should say, for rejecting Paul? He actually did say, hey, there were apostles that came to you, and you rejected them, and this is what I like, because they were false, they were preaching false things. Jesus did say that to the Ephesians. Who would those apostles be? So, number one, why did Jesus not rebuke them for rejecting Paul? Honest question. Why did he not rebuke them in Revelation chapter 2 for rejecting Paul? Number two, who were the apostles? Who else could could it be? I mean, honest questions. Who else could it be in New Testament times who are apostles or at least claim to be apostles? Who else? It had to have been significant enough, like these names, these individuals, these people had to have had a significant enough of, a, of an impact and an influence for Jesus himself to actually address it in, in Revelation chapter 2. It couldn't have been just your everyday or average Joe Blow. It had to have been someone of, of stature. It had to have been someone that had some clout. That's a fact. So why didn't he rebuke them? And why, or who would it be? Who would it be? Who would be those apostles that Jesus said, hey, those apostles came to you and you knew what they were saying was false. You rejected them. Awesome. Awesome. Just questions. 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 Yeah, we don't hear from Matthias again in the the book of Acts. Or of course, Paul wouldn't say much about it. Same with what at least many other uh, of the original twelve doesn't mean anything. That 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 point of the argument, it doesn't logically mean anything. Because all the rest of them were not mentioned either except who Peter and James that's it Peter and James that's it out of all 12 Peter and James were the only two of the 12 that was mentioned um let me think now uh maybe I didn't know. before you guys quote me on that I mean just give me a second here um Yeah. yeah. I just want to make sure. As far as my as far as I can see, they were the only ones that were mentioned out of, out of the twelve. Now, if I'm if I'm mistaken, you guys are you correct me on that. But there you go. Finally, again, when they chose Matthias why did why did the lord never ever correct them about that he never said well oh you you did against my command oh therefore you guys sinned and as you know they, they did before they would make them pay somehow you know he rebukes them he rebukes them quite fast when they sin you know that The 12 disciples, when they sin, he rebukes them quite, he didn't wait. He rebukes them fast. Why didn't he rebuke them at all? We know that Paul was not qualified. And you see, this is the problem, right? Think about this again before I go on. We have... A lot of people today in Christianity, they they stake their soul upon what Paul says. That is equivalent to putting your, your life into the hands of someone who is a pilot, who, who says they're a pilot, but has no experience. No experience. They stake their soul. A lot of people stake their soul upon what Paul says. What we should do is we should do what the what the um what the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. The men of Berea they tested everything that Paul said with the Tanakh. They said, Okay, okay, Paul, we'll hear you out. Okay. We'll read your letters, we'll hear you out, we'll 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 hear the you know the, the message that you have to 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 preach to us. But we're not gonna believe until. We study the scriptures ourselves to see if what you said is true. And again, the scriptures meant Old Testament, quote unquote, Old Testament, not New Testament. New Testament, New Testament didn't exist back in those days. So, bottom line is this: Paul says some things that are in line with the, with the Old Testament are in line with the. Paul says some things that are in line with the. With the and Paul says a lot of other things, well, at the best, are questionable. So I would challenge you, every single concept that he writes down, that brother, again, he has, he does not have the authority of the 12. He does not have the authority of, of the original 12 at all. He wasn't there. He didn't get the training. He doesn't have, he doesn't have the experience. Sure, he claimed that... Well, the Lord appeared to me once. Well, millions of people claim that. Yeah, the Lord appeared. Oh, yeah, and he spoke to me one other time about the thorn in the flesh. But that's, what else? Uh, There might be one other time ever in his whole whole entire life that he claimed the Lord spoke to him. But he, that's, that's completely that's completely it's like i'm getting um uh error messages here okay error messages just about connection issue about that whatever ever you look however you you look at apply that to everyone else I look at Paul, I, the way I look at Paul is this. He, the only thing that Paul has done for him. Let me, I have to, I have to say this correctly. The, the only thing that Paul has over us. First, another, another thing, one other thing. Um, Peter himself. Although he didn't very much, very weird, but then again, but that's the only, that's, those are the only two things I can think of right now that he has over us. Someone said, well, but, but, but Jesus sent him to the Gentiles. Oh, yeah, but everybody and their brother and their mother and their dog claims to be sent by the Lord to the Gentiles. So what? Oh, but, but, but he has the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you know? I mean, honestly, how do you know? I, I, how do you know anybody has the Holy Spirit if they line up with this, with this, with the previous, with the scriptures? In in Paul's case, he would have to line up with the Tanakh. If he lines up with the Tanakh, if he lines up with the law and the prophets, then you know he has the spirit, the same, the spirit of God, the same God. That 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 gave the the word of God to Moses through Moses and through all the prophets, the Holy Spirit. So there are many there are many many good reasons to believe that Matthias was the right one to be chosen. I mean, it's, it's right there. I mean, it's right there. Many good reasons. And I. I uh, Basically, you know what, I'm not reading from a script here. I'm just off the top of my head. So, I mean, you know, if I really sit down and think about it, I can probably come up with more. But those are the ones that are just off the top of my head. Some of the reasons, several several good reasons why we should believe chapter one was done properly. <laughs> It doesn't say anything other than that. It doesn't say anything contrary to that. And I encourage every one of you, do not, do not buy in Paul worship that's going around. Do that would tell you Paul replaced Judas. Ridiculous nonsense. You're not gonna find who you're gonna find within the first how many centuries that would ever, ever agree with you. I I pointed out Irenaeus earlier. Uh, if there's anybody that would know uh somebody who's close to the time of the, of, of the tw- of the original twelve that would be him and he said very clearly Judas was deprived of his office and cast out while Matthias was ordained in his place. yes, of course he was. that's what the Bible says of course and of course Paul was not qualified. If he was chosen instead of Matthias, I would have a big problem with that. I'd say, man, you guys are. I don't know any any other words. You know, if if the apostles chose Paul over Matthias, I don't know any other word to to use other than just plain stupid. (laughs) You'd be stupid to, 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 uh, to use Paul instead of Matthias. Matthias was there. He was an eyewitness. He was tra- he was he he saw and he heard all of the teachings and all of the training that the rest of the 12 did. He was an auditor of the course. Paul was too busy doing what? And where was he anyway? In the Holy Land or was he in Tarsus, in the Greco-Roman city? Again, don't get me wrong. I have never said People say, oh, you reject Paul. Oh, you 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 know, I have never ever ever said, throw out uh, Paul's letters. In fact, I think every live stream I've done, and I've done how many hundred of them, every video that I've done, almost every one, I quote Paul. I refer to Paul's letters. But I if I quote Paul to back up anything I say. It's because what Paul said actually is in tune with the Torah, is in tune with the Tanakh. Otherwise, I wouldn't you know I wouldn't quote him. People say, Well, how dare you? That's the word of God. That's the word of God. Says who? It was Paul's personal letters. He sits down with a quill in his little prison cell and he writes letters excuse me he writes letters to his to the people that he met you know in previous in his uh, missionary journeys he never he never thought it would get to where it is today never thought it and he himself said that what he wrote at least in one at least in one part he says it's not it's not uh, the lord it's me uh, i'm the one is uh, saying this not the lord you know 1 Corinthians chapter seven verse twelve, very very clear. Vinny, Vinny says, what are your thoughts on Purim? Do you acknowledge it or celebrate it? I know it's not a command. Yeah, okay, very good question. Um, yeah, so Purim, Purim or Purim, however you want to pronounce it, is not a command. Um, I look at it. I look at Purim, Purim as very similar, uh, to like Hanukkah. Yes. It's not a command. It's, it's, you are celebrating something that happened that God did in the past. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, doing something like that. You celebrate what God It's like, it's like celebrating, you know, the day that God called you, uh, you repented, you know, um, like, Hey, like, you know, it, July uh, of this of this year would be my what would it be now Th- trying to think my thirtieth year since God did what He did in my life you know in to the extent that He did um, I mean hey if in last the, the second last the last week of July of this year if I celebrate say hey and if I have a, s- a special little you know thing a celebration that I celebrate say this is the thirtieth year since since God did what he did in my life in 1992, then um, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Um, I, I, wouldn't, uh, I don't condemn anybody that would celebrate Purim. Very good question, Vinny. Thank you for asking. One John, John says to Vinny, I don't celebrate anything that's not commanded, including Hanukkah. God says in many places, do not add to or subtract from my commandments. Um, it depends on how you look at it, right? I mean, some people might, there might be somebody when it comes to Hanukkah or Purim that actually puts, the, fabricates a commandment and says, thou shalt celebrate, and kind of puts that up with the feast of the Lord. Doing that and like really kind of, that would be adding, Right, that would be adding to the word of God, to the commandments. Um, but I mean, the way I'm thinking, like the way I'm looking at it, the way I'm talking about it, it's not it's not really adding to the commandments at all. You are you're not, you're not you're not looking at it like as if it's the word of God. You're not looking at it. You're not putting it on the same level as the Torah at all. So that you, therefore you're not like adding to the Torah at all. But you are acknowledging what God did and you're and, um, you know, you're, you're celebrating what God did. thats That's how I look at it. One John uh, says, "What? Which is the higher calling, an apostle or a disciple?" There were many disciples, but the twelve apostles were a select group, and that's what why I have a problem s- saying Paul was an apostle. Yeah, I mean, if you have a problem saying Paul was an apostle, and I'm pretty sure um, probably Christine would d- say that as well. Like, I have no problem with that. I have no problem with you having a po- with a problem with uh, uh, saying that Paul is an apostle. Um, yeah, I have no problem with that. Um to me, to me, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Uh as I always say, we 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 don't need Paul. You don't need Paul at all. Um Paul's not our savior, he's not a prophet, he's not he's not the Messiah, he's not God. And and again, the 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 reason why people are so Paul worshipper, like these Paul fanboys anymore. The reason why there's so many Paul fanboys and Paul worshipers is because he's in the Bible. And that's really, I, you know, that's, that's one thing I left out. That's, that's really the only thing that Paul's got going for him. He's actually in the Bible. But again, the Bible is a man-made thing and not God. Again, not the contents of the Bible per se, but the construction, the, the compilation of it. Uh, the canon is what I mean. Uh, so to answer your question, higher calling, apostle or disciple? I, I would say disciple, because uh, an apostle it can be very very shallow, right? Like if 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 the Lord or anybody, like uh, let's just say in in the context of, of of the Lord of God Himself. So if God said, um, one John. Uh, the neighbor across your uh, across from you is is an old lady. You know, go and uh, you know um, cut her grass for her. You're an apostle. If if God spoke that to you, you're an apostle, and that's awesome. And he, and you'll get a reward for that if you do that. right? You will get a reward for that. Um, but a disciple is much deeper because a disciple is when you are you are really trained. Uh, a student. Disciple is a fancy word for student. So yeah, a student would have more authority than than an apostle would. An apostle just being someone who's just sent to do... An apostle can be pretty... um, Again, I don't want to use... I don't want to... An apostle can be very uneducated. They can be very, very uh, ill-informed about their, their... An apostle is just someone who's sent to do something. But a disciple is something who's is someone who's actually educated. Very good question, one John. I see Mike is saying like that. Uh, you know, Peter made a mistake again. If you know what? No, the thing is this. Okay, uh, what Peter said. It's pretty clear that everybody agreed with him. there was nobody in Acts chapter one that that opposed that objected to that. Again, all of the the 11 were there, all the 11 disciples at least one of them would have known would have known um, none of them objected to it, including all the others that were there too again uh, you know assumingly it would have been probably 120 of the disciples, the same crowd that was in Acts chapter 2. And none of them, absolutely none of them said, no, Peter, no, listen, Peter, you better, no. It says they prayed. They, it means they all. So in other words, it wasn't just Peter. It was all of them. It was all of them. They all, so if it was a mistake, then all 120 of them, at least the 11, plus all the rest that were there, would have been at fault because nobody, Nobody corrected Peter. Nobody stopped him. Nobody objected to it. Nothing. Okay, so they were all uh, part of the uh, part of the deal. And again, anybody, you know, common sense would say they did the right thing. They did the right thing. Judas, Judas, the 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 seat, so to speak, had to be filled before the promise of the Father uh, would 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 come down. Uh, in fact. I'm not sure how, how long they waited before. Maybe they, maybe they repl- replaced Judas like the very next day, or maybe within hours of, of Judas's death. They should have, I mean, the, the Judas should be replaced immediately. Should not be, uh, wait, should not wait one day, two days, a week, four weeks, 40 days, 50 days. Never. Um, you need that seat filled. Yeshua chose 12 for a reason, and again, the Lord did not rebuke them, the Lord did not correct them, and the early church fathers acknowledged that it was, in fact, God's will, and it was God's plan, and that Matthias was legit. It's only these Paul worshiping Paulian, and Pauli fanboys today, these polytheists that have a problem with it. So don't buy into it. Do not buy into that. It's not it's not uh, you know it, it's not good. don't blow don't uh, buy into that. Jeff says, I just know to believe God over Paul. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was thinking about that there the other day. It's like, like, do you believe that Paul said there's none righteous? Yeah. Okay, well, Luke chapter 1 verse 6 said that Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous. What do you say to that? Not only that, but hundreds of times throughout the Bible, it says that people were righteous. It says right from the very beginning, right in Genesis chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 7, that Noah was righteous. Do you, what the, what the, uh, you remember what the argument was that I was told? Well, Noah was righteous in the, in the sight of men. Before men, he was righteous, but not before God. Okay. Okay. So, could you please explain to me Genesis chapter seven verse one, when it says, "God said to noah, you were you I found you righteous before me." It just doesn't make sense. Again, who's right? God or Paul? or perhaps if you want to really you can say that paul Paul was misinterpreted or misunderstood. Whatever the case is, it looks like a contradiction. It looks like a contradiction, whatever the case is. So if you got Paul saying that the Torah is finished, done, um, not in in effect anymore, like how a lot of people believe that. And God said it's eternal. It's to be not just eternal because some people say, well, yeah, it's eternal, but it's just kind of put away. It's it's still still locked up. It's still put up on a shelf and it's collecting dust right now, but it's still eternal. No, no, no. Uh, you know, Second Kings seventeen thirty seven. It says it should be, it should be observed forever. And this is the thing too, right? When Paul wrote his letters, he did not, he did not have in mind for them to be picked apart like we do, like we do today. He wrote like a brother. He wrote like a brother. To the to his to his buddies in Rome, to his buddies in in Corinth, to his buddies in Galatia, to his buddy Timothy and Philemon, and he wrote he wrote that's what he was it was just a buddy it was a friendly letter it was like an email like you you and I would send to one another today he never thought I don't think he even dreamed of the fact that it would be looked at and picked apart in a very legal, like as if we're lawyers looking at a legal document. Paul can be wrong. He's not the infallible Paul. Paul is not the infallible Paul. Anybody that says that he is, uh, I would say, I think you better double check your... Uh, idol-worshipping status there. You don't worship Paul. He's not. He's not. He is not perfect. He's not infallible. What he wrote is not perfect. If you think that what he wrote is perfect, I mean, you're putting you're you're putting him up on a very on a pedestal like crazy. You're worshiping him. Mike says. The Christians love Paul for the same reason you hate him. Uh, 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 see, you're putting words in my mouth. I've never said I hate Paul. I said I want to look at him exactly what, for what he is, for who he is. I said, for you know, and this is why I take a position where I'm not really telling you exactly. I'm not making a, a, a statement of fact. I'm just saying, at best, Paul is just another brother. Does that mean I hate him? No. I mean, I can treat... I would, I would treat it if I, um, Hey, I got a book here called the signature of God by Grant Jeffrey. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Author. Awesome. Teacher. In my opinion. Is he perfect? No. Do I hate him? No. Actually, I I, I respect this guy. Is he perfect? No. At best, he's another brother. Same with Paul. Okay? So, again, you're you're misunderstanding me here. Jeff says, The people that love Paul may not find the small gate. Take your chances or follow God. Yeah, very good. Very good. You know, and again, I'm putting Paul in, you know, what I just said there. I, I put Paul in a more favorable light, but then again, I'm just saying. You look at the facts. We need to be open. See, a lot of people, a lot of people, especially Christians, I find they lock their minds into one specific little thing, and they can't see anything more than outside of their own. It's like they're just, they just, they, they, they can only see inside their little box, and they can't. Open their eyes and see the rest of the picture. So, like, hey, if if Jesus, if this guy was rejected by New York City by the churches in New York City, and Jesus appeared to the churches in New York City and say, hey, I see that you you uh, you rejected someone who claimed to be one of my one of my one of my people. Good for you. Now, what would I say to that? I would say, well. <laughs> I would say exactly what I would say about Paul. It's like, um, it doesn't look good for him. That's, I mean, it doesn't look good. Does that mean I, you know, I'm not making a, a statement of fact. I'm just saying it doesn't look good for Paul. It doesn't look good. question says uh, or maybe those who misinterpret Paul for their own destruction. And yeah, regardless of how you look at Paul, Paul is misinterpreted or at least his 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 words are twisted. I, I think that there are some of the words some of the things that he writes that he wrote uh, are used in a way that I don't think he really originally intended it to be used. <laughs> yeah And Jeff makes a point. Uh, let's believe the guy that says we can all sin sounds like exactly what God wants. Do you hear yourself? Um, if anything you know from the scriptures, you open up the book of Genesis and read just the first few chapters. If, if, if there's anything about the devil that you know a person should should see is that the devil is always trying to get someone to disobey God's commands. Right from the very beginning, and he's still doing that today. Vinny says um, thanks. Uh, yeah, I believe they're both worthy, worthy of acknowledging Purim and Hanukkah. You're welcome, Vinny. Let me before I get into the uh, reading tonight. I mean I'm I'm you know, I'm not reading all of your comments here in the live chat. I just can't do that right now. But this is this is one here that kind of stood out. Paul was the person the prosecuting attorney under Judge Gamliel. Um, okay, so this is a thing too. Okay, let me just say this: there are Jewish people today who know a lot more than Christians know, and probably probably know a lot more than I know or you you know about uh, the his the history of. Uh, how judaism views things and the like gamaliel or Gamliel, um this kind of thing you know a few months ago we had uh, uh, tovia singer on here and uh, you know he said he said that he was a descendant of gamaliel he was he is actually a direct descendant of of gamaliel he said um now i don't i i I know that there are some Jews, and if you just look at it like this, you think about it for a minute. Again, this is another one of these things. If you're humble enough, if you're open enough, if you have enough capacity to to think a little bit about this, you'll see what I'm getting at. When they were about to persecute, you know what? Let me just quick. I'll quickly pull it up. Okay, let me just quickly pull it up. Now this was this was this was during the time of of uh, you know when Paul was doing his thing persecuting the church. Okay. In his own words, you know, persecuting the church unto the death. Okay? Paul was doing this in his own words, and according to the book of Acts as well, he was doing this. Acts chapter 5. Let me just show you guys. This is something I'll just, I'll I'll show you this, and then we'll leave it at that, and we'll get into the scripture reading for tonight. Acts chapter 5. This is about Gamaliel and Paul. Okay? This is something that a lot of you probably have never thought of. I'll just show you something. And again, I pray that each one of you have, and I know most of you do, and I hope every one of you do, you, you, you're humble enough and, you, ha- and you, 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 you have enough capacity to take in what I say and to seriously think about it without denying the obvious, without denying the fa- the facts, okay? So... um So the apostles were were in Acts chapter five. They were brought before the Sanhedrin. Okay, uh, they didn't like what what they were saying, and so they wanted to charge them with, uh, you know, with with something. They didn't like them at all. They they so they brought them before the Sanhedrin to to basically try them. Um, and so the Sanhedrin, for those of you who don't know, is a is an extension of Moses. Um, you know, when Moses designated 70 uh, elders to be judges. Well, that's basically the roots of the Sanhedrin. So, so while they were being tried in the Sanhedrin, which is like a Jewish court, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, or Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that, that the men be put outside for a little while. Okay, so put, put the... Uh, Put the disciples outside. Put put the believers in Shuah outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some some time ago, through uh, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about four hundred men rallied. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed. And, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all, of his, all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. You see that? Leave these men alone. Let them go go leave them alone now paul claims to be under gamaliel what is he doing persecuting the church gamaliel said don't do not persecute these people leave them be let them alone leave them alone Yet Paul comes in and says, hey, I'm from Gamaliel. I was trained on, oh yeah, and I'm persecuting them to the death. What's up with that? And that's one of the reasons why a lot of Jews today, Pharisees today, and I've met a couple of them who say that Paul was not a Pharisee, and he was not under Gamaliel, that he just used it for clout, because who this is Gamaliel, the leader of the Pharisees. He says, do not persecute these people. Leave them alone. Let them go. If Paul was a, was a Pharisee, he was a bad one. I mean, he wasn't a very good Pharisee. If he was under Gamaliel, <laughs> he wasn't a very good student of Gamaliel or he wasn't a very good listener to Gamaliel because Gamaliel, of course, here, you see it right there, right before your eyes. Acts five thirty eight. And I know there are some people that are listening to this that they does not compute short circuits to the brain. Okay, and I understand some people just don't have the capacity to 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 take what I'm trying to, what I'm saying right now. But what I'm saying should cause you to say, oh yeah, look at what's something's wrong here. What's up with this? Was it Luke that messed up here in, in, in his in his reporting, or was it Paul? Is it Paul again? I want to point your finger to Peter all the time? I think uh. Gamaliel. Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will uh, only find yourselves fighting against God. Okay, Paul, you who claim, you say you're a Pharisee, and you who go by the leader of the Pharisees, Gamaliel, the grandson of Hillel, you proudly proclaim, I was, I was, I was trained under Gamalio I'm a student of Gamaliel. Is that just words or is that indeed something's something doesn't add up here Something's missing here or something's twisted something's something something's up that's all I'm saying what's wrong with this picture Question asks a really good question, Actually, How do I stop sexual immoral desires? Feeling kind of tempted. Y- you think of the long haul. You think of the long haul. Um, you think, what? where is this going to lead me in another 50 years? Where is this going to lead me in another 100 years? Is it vain? Excuse me. And you resist. You resist. I'm not sure if you're married or not. um, But, you know, if you're not married, that's a different situation. It depends on what what circumstances you're under. But nevertheless, I mean, just to resist, uh, to put it down and count yourself dead, count yourself dead. Crucify yourself by faith. And, 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 you know, I am crucified with Christ. Crucify yourself by faith. And another thing, too, is, you know, it, 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 what you're doing here is uh, you're being open. And that's really, really good. And, and it's it's really important to, to be open and, um, and humble about it and ask, and ask uh, for help like that. It, that's That's a really good thing to do. Um, But yes, just as it says, God's bestie, Oh, I just missed you. Could you do that again, God's bestie? Sorry, God's bestie, I just missed you there. Yes, hello, God's bestie. Sorry, guys, there's this uh, person by the name of God's bestie just tried to contact me here. Um. Yeah. Resist. Resist. As it says in the scriptures, as um, I believe it's First Peter, it says, um, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Tower of Time says shalom y'all, shalom the Tower of Time. By the way, brother, um, you know, you mentioned there the... the last uh last night about contacting jackson i did contact jackson actually and he will be on friday evening this friday evening lord willing he will be with us friday evening that's our time yes we're gonna have mr jackson snyder with us this friday evening i think you guys are gonna have a great time with mr snyder um he's kind of the opposite of uh well he's he's on the he's on the other end of the spectrum compared to what we what we saw there uh the other day. Um so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's gonna be he's gonna be talking about the Apostle Paul. And I guarantee you guys, I guarantee you, most of you guys will be you'll hear things about the Apostle Paul you've never heard before. You've never heard before. Um definitely things that I've never Ever mentioned. Okay. And the, uh, the Tower Time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm sure you do. So, yeah. Lord willing, we'll have uh, Mr. Snyder on with us Friday evening. Okay. So, yeah, Tower Time says, awesome, brother. Yes. Okay. Now, again, just before I get into the scriptures, um, if you have any specific question you want to direct specifically to me, because I know you guys, you can chat with your, amongst yourselves in the live chat, but you want you want to you know direct it specifically to me, just put at Christopher in the live chat. God's bestie on Podbean, are you still there? Uh, if you want to call in again, feel free to do that. okay first Samuel chapter 16 well I'm gonna read um, let me see here gotta'm gonna read just a second guys I'm going to read um. A few from a few chapters of Samuel and then I'm going to read the Psalms So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read Samuel first Samuel chapter 16 to 20 and then I'm going to read two psalms and then I'll read uh, a few more chapters from Samuel And again in the meantime um, if you want to send me a, a, a question just put that at Christopher in the live chat. Okay. First Samuel chapter 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse or Yeshay, the Bethlehemite, Bethlehemite, excuse me. Because I have chosen a king for myself, sons. But Samuel said, How can I go? Samuel hears about it he will kill me well i tell you that's a that's some wicked uh, that's some wicked king isn't it i mean he got like the prophet the prophet uh whose life is in danger because of this uh, king think about this and this is the prophet that that anointed him as king in the first place but the lord said take a heifer with you and say i have come to sacrifice to the lord And you shall invite Yeshe to the sacrifice, and I will let you know what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord told him, and he came to Bethlehem. Then the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? And He said, In peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Yeshe and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is standing before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his height or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see as man sees, since man looks at the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. Then Yeshe called Abinadab and had him pass before Samuel. But he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Yeshe had Shammah pass by. And the Lord said, excuse me, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. So Yeshe had seven of his sons pass before Samuel but samuel said to yeshe the lord has not chosen these then samuel said to yeshe all these are are excuse me are these all the boys and he said the youngest is still left but behold he is tending the sheep so samuel said to yeshe send word and bring him for we will not take places at the table until he comes here quick little interjection here it's worth noting I'm not going to get into the whole thing because it is a it is a lengthy teaching but just to kind of wet your appetite out on this um you know in Psalm 139 David wrote like you know uh, um uh behold I was shaped I was born in iniqu- I was born in sin shaping in iniquity this kind of thing right born in sin uh there's there's a huge story behind that okay in in uh in the Jewish world there's a huge story behind that and the story goes that to make a long story short that david did believe and his brothers believed that he was an illegitimate child that he was um Then his mother was, you know, was not what what she, you know, she wasn't really the the best of uh, of the girls, put it that way, um, and so the brothers, all the brothers uh, of David, would mistreat him because of that. And he looked different, you know, he was a redhead, you know, as tradition says. He's he was a redhead, and um, and even the brothers thought that he was from. He was a child of uh, from from some other parent so um that's why he said what he said now there is a whole story behind that and again i'm not going to get into that all that detail but um i think that's worth noting because a few days ago we did mention how um uh actually it wasn't a few days ago it was yesterday actually we we're talking about um uh the whole thing about original sin now original sin the the uh, doctrine of original sin began with saint augustine and um came from saint augustine pulled in um he was like um let me see. he was like a manichaean i think we would call it uh saint augustine let me see yeah manichaean uh so the whole idea of the original sin doctrine came from mainly from St. Augustine, he introduced it. His contemporary, St. John Chrysostom, uh, opposed um, original sin. St. John Chrysostom was more along the lines of, he was like more of the leader of the Orthodox Church, whereas St. Augustine was more of the Roman Catholic Church. And so St. Augustine is the one that really crafted out this original sin doctrine, uh, whereas Chrysostom thought it was ridiculous. And I do too, I think it's ridiculous. But that's one of the that's one of the main verses that they base it on. Apart from again, Paul, um, what Paul teaches in in one of his letters. Uh, however, looking at it from the perspective of the Jewish people who actually brought the scriptures to us, I think they would have more in, insight uh, as opposed to Saint Augustine. Um, they do not look at that as original sin at all. At all, it's nothing. Has nothing to do with that. So again, that's another whole. That teaching is another whole topic all by itself. But just so you guys know that, that is. Um, don't let anybody deceive you by using that. You know, I was born in sin or conceived in sin kind of thing that David wrote as a uh, as a foundation for original sin because it just doesn't work. It doesn't. It's, it doesn't mean that at all. Okay. Back to the scriptures. Uh, by the way, too, I do have on my website a teaching on that. Um, the whole teaching on the, orig- the uh, not original sin, but let me see here. I'll, I'll quick, quickly pull it up for you guys. Um, uh, let me see now. Uh, original sin, conceived in sin. This would be the one here I believe it is. yeah sorry I said it was I, I said it was 139 it was, it was psalm 51.5 there um so yeah so in this article on my blog at christmasfreeno.org that would take into a lot more detail into what I'm getting at okay uh citing all these scriptures and pulling up all the different references and sources uh that um, uh, that I'm talking about okay so that's again that's for another that's for another um that's for another time. Continuing with 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12. So he sent word and brought him in. Again, the idea was that David was kind of like the outcast because of that, because of his, because of the conception that his brothers had of him. Now he was reddish and with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. Again, he was he didn't. So this is the reason why it's like he didn't look like the he didn't look like his brothers. What's up for that? He didn't look like his brothers. He looked like he looked totally different. And the Lord said, "Arise, anoint him for this is he." So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel set out and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord left Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrified him. Now, I I was always very, very intrigued with this particular phrase. Evil spirit from the Lord. Evil spirit from the Lord terrified him. Why would that be? And again, we have the concept of if if you transgress the law of God, the instructions of God, the Torah, you give way for evil spirits. God, being a just God, could actually do what He did here to all. He could actually send an evil spirit to you, like he, he sent the devil to Job. I know that most Christians cringe when you read that, or they try to put on their blinders when they read that and try to say, "Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but but that's what it says." That's what it says. And why would that? Why would the Lord do that again? Because He is a just. He is a just God. You do something that would give the enemy legal ground in your life. God is a just God, has to sign over that legal ground to that evil spirit uh, accordingly. we know at this point by this time Saul was definitely not doing uh, not Torah <laughs> compliant at all seeing that even Samuel was afraid for his life because of Saul definitely not a, a good man in any you know stretch of that any stretch of that word um, So an evil spirit from the Lord terrified him. Saul's servants then said to him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God is terrifying you. Sometimes I got to kind of chuckle when I read this kind of stuff. It's like, you actually speak to the king like this? Like, look, man. Look, king. Evil spirit from God is terrifying you. That's a uh, a pretty bold statement to say to the king. May our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Have them search for a man who is a skillful skillful musician on the harp, and it shall come about whenever the evil spirit from God is upon you, that he shall play the harp with his hand, and you will become well. So in other words, he didn't feel very good. This evil spirit, terrifying him. Again, checking in the original Hebrew, a little bit more than just terrifying. he's more like tormenting. Um, he didn't feel very well. But music, just as music can be a uh, uh, conduit for evil spirits, it can also be a, con- a conduit for, uh, to drive them away as well, as we, as we see right here. So Saul said to his servants, Now select for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the young men responded and said, Behold, I have seen... a." Son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician, a valiant, mighty man, a warrior, skillful in speech, and a handsome man. And the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to to Yeshe to say, send me your son David. Uh, uh, Really, in the original, I'll call him David, but as everybody else would know him as David. In the original, it would be Dawid. Dawid, uh, who was is, who is with the flock. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread and a jug of wine, and he took a young goat and sent them to to Saul, Shaul, by his son David. Then David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul greatly loved him, and he became his armor-bearer. So Saul sent word to Yeshay, saying, Let David now be my attendant, for he Has found favor in my sight so it came about whenever the evil spirit from god came upon or came to saul david would take the harp and play it with his hand and saul would feel relieved and become well and the evil spirit would leave him first samuel chapter 17. now the philistines gathered their armies for battle and They were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Yehuda, Judah. And they camped between Soko and Azekah Azekah in Ephes-Damim. Saul and the men men of Israel were assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah. And they drew up in battle formation to front the Philistines. The Philistines... We're standing on the mountain on one side while Israel was standing on the mountain on the other side with the venom. Then a champion came forward from the army encampment of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. His height was six cubits in a span. So six cubits would be, let me see what it says here in the footnotes here, nine feet or 2.7 meters his a cubit is uh, uh, 18 inches, a foot and a half. Height was nine cubits and a span. A span is like if you take your hand, uh, literally if you take your hand, like from, your, from the tip of your pinky finger to the tip of your thumb, it's like that's how far, that's how wide a span is. But according to the footnotes here, a span would be nine inches. I guess that would be approximately right, or 23 centimeters. Okay, let me just go here. Verse 5, And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore, he wore scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze, which weighed 5,000 shekels, literally, and the weight of the armor was, was, was between 75 to 125 pounds, so, you know, about 100 pounds. That's, that's a good weight. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze saber slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield carrier walked in front of him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and And said to them, Why do you come out to draw in the battle formation? In battle formation, am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man as your representative and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Then the Philistines said, I have defied the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man, so that we may fight together. Then Shaul or Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine. They were, excuse me, when when Saul and is in all Israel heard the words of the of the Philistine, they were dismayed and very fearful. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of. Bethlehem in Judah, the man whose name was Yeshe, and, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, or Yeshe was old in the days of Sheol. Advanced in years among them, the three older sons of Yeshe had followed Saul to, to the battle. And the names of his three sons who had gone into battle were Eb the firstborn, and the second to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shama. So David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and, and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. And the Philistine came fo- forward morning and evening and took his stand for 40 days. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp of your brothers. Bring also these ten slices of cheese to the commander of, of, their, of their thousand and look into the well-being of your brothers and bring back confirmation from them. For Saul, for Shaul, and, and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the entrenchment, encircling the camp, while the army was going out in battle formation, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle formation, army against army. Then David left the baggage in the care of the baggage keeper, and ran to the battle line, and he entered and greeted his brothers. And he was speak as he was speaking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard him. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were very fearful. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will make the man who kills him wealthy with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then day to the men who were standing by him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and rids Israel of, of the disgrace? For... For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he has dared to defy the armies of the living God? The people answered him in agreement with this statement, and saying, This is what will be done for and who kills him. Now Eliam, his older brother, heard him when he spoke to the to the men. And Eliam's anger burned against David, and he said, Why is it that you have come down? And with With whom have you left those few sheep? I myself know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. Notice, I mean, Eliab thinks he's got a wicked heart. We know that uh, God said that it's a man after his own heart. And by the way, too, Eliab, the older brother, like the eldest brother, right? You see the same pattern, right? We got Cain and Abel. We got Ishmael and, and Isaac, you know. We got Esau and Jacob. We got the um, the elder brother in this in the parable of the prodigal son. We see a pattern here. Not that all the old elder brothers are like that. But it seems like far too many are. Let's put it that way. I myself know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, says Eliab. For you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him and another to another and said the same, and the people replied with the same words as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they informed Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, May no one's heart fail on account of him, Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight him, for you are only a youth, while he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a a lion or a bear came and took his sheep from the flock, I went out after it and attacked. "...attacked it and rescued the sheep from its mouth, and when it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God." And David said, "...the Lord, who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will save. he will save me from the hand of this Philistine." Notice. You know what happens sometimes, like God, you may have challenges in your life, and you know, sometimes you might pray that those challenges don't come, but you know, sometimes God would use those challenges to prepare you for a bigger challenge, prepare you for a bigger victory, I should say, and that's exactly what he did here in the the life of David. First, it was the lion and the bear. It's like... Today it's the lion and the bear. Tomorrow it's Goliath. So Saul said to David, "Go and may the Lord be with you." Then Saul clothed David with his military attire and put a bronze helmet on his head and outfitted him with armor. David strapped on his sword over his military attire and struggled at walking uh, for he was not trained with arm with armor, with the armor. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these because I have not trained with them. David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. He put them in in the shepherd's bag, which he had, that is, in his shepherd's pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine took, looked and saw David, he was contemptuous of him, for he was only a youth and reddish, with with a handsome appearance. So the Philistine said to David, "Am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks?" And the Philistine cursed David by his gods the Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild animals. But David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a saber. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you and remove your head from you. Then I will give the dead bodies of, of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds. <laughs> I like the way it's like, you said, let me just stop here for a second, because it's like Goliath Goliath threatened that, that he would make only little David's dead body um, you know, food for the birds. And David's like, no, no. Forget about, I'm not going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn your entire army. I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the earth so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that this entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's. And he will hand you over to us. Beautiful story, isn't it? It's wonderful. Ah, Beautiful. Don't let anybody say that you're too young or that you're too... If you have God on your side, you can do it. You can do it. Uh, An old friend of mine would always say, one with God is a majority. One with God is a majority. Verse 48. Then it happened that the Philistine came closer to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into into his bag and took from it a, a stone and slung it. And struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone penetrated his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. All it took was one. All it took was one, one of those, one stone. It seems like it was the first stone that David pull, um, uh, pulled out of his bag. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling. With the sling and the stone, he struck the Philistine and killed him, and there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and finished him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Then the men of Israel and Judah rose up and shouted, and they pursued the Philistines as far as the valley. And to the gates of Ekron, and the Philistine dead lay along the way to Shaaraim, even to Gath and Ekron. Then the sons of Israel returned from their close pursuit of the Philistines and plundered their camps. And David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his weapons in his tent. Now when Saul had seen David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son son is this young man? And Abner said, By your life, O king, I do not know. And the king said, You then ask whose son the youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul the Philistine with the Philistine's head in his hand. Then Saul said to him, "Whose son are you, young man?" David answered and said, "I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite." First Samuel chapter eighteen. First Samuel chapter eighteen. Now it came about when he had finished speaking with Saul or speaking to Saul that Jonathan committed himself to David and Jonathan loved him as himself and Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his military gear including his sword his bow and his belt and David went into battle wherever Saul sent him, and always achieved success. So Saul put him in charge of the men of war. It was pleasing, and it was pleasing in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with other musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens thousands. Then Saul became very angry for this lyric displeased him. And he said, they have given David credit for tens thousands, but to me, they have given uh, given credit for only thousands. Now only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David with suspicion from that day on. Again, we see like um, you know jealousy, jealousy. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved in the, the midst of the house of the house while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual and a spear was in Saul's hand. then Saul hurled the spear for he thought I will pin David to the wall but David escaped from his presence twice. Wow And God side, you know, you're protected. Now Saul was afraid of David <laughs> not really the other way around there but Saul was afraid Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but but had left Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. David was successful in, his, in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw that he was very successful, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he would go out to battle and return before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be a valiant man for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, My hand shall not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. (laughs) Reminds me of what David did to Uriah, doesn't it? But David said to Saul, Who am I? And who is my family, or my, fa- my father's family in Israel, that I should be the king's son-in-law? So it came about at the time of Mareb, Saul's daughter. The ta- excuse me. So it came about at the time that Mareb, Saul's daughter, was given was to be given to David, that she was given instead of Adriel, the Maholathite, as a wife. So, yeah, just stopping here. So, Merib was given instead, given to David instead of being given to Adriel. Now, Michal, Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. When they informed Saul, the thing was pleasing to him. For Saul thought, I will give her to him so that she might become a trap for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore, Shaul said to David, For a second time you may come my son-in-law today. Then Shaul, or Saul, commanded his servants, Speak to David in secret, saying, Behold, the king delights in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. So Shaul's servants spoke these words to David. But David said, Is it? is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law since I am only a poor man and insignificant? And Saul's servants reported to him saying, these are the the words David spoke. Saul then said, this is what you shall say to David. The king does not desire any dowry except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies but Saul plotted to have David fall by the hand of the Philistines. When his servants told David these words, it pleased David to become the king's son-in-law. So so before the time had expired, David set out and went, he and his men, and fatally struck 200 men among the Philistines. Then David brought their foreskins, and they presented all 200 of them to the king, so so that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michal, as a wife. And Saul saw, when Saul saw and realized that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, then Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines went to battle and it happened as often as they went out that David was more successful than all the servants of Saul. So his name was held in high esteem. 1 Samuel chapter 19. Now Saul told his son Jonathan and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan saw son greatly delighted in David. So Jonathan informed David, saying, My father Saul is seeking to put you to death. Now, now then, please be on your guard in the morning and stay in a hiding place and conceal yourself. And as for me, I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are hiding. And I will speak with my father about you. And whatever I found, find out, I will tell you. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to his father Saul and said to him, May the king not sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you for he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine and the Lord brought about a, a great victory for all Israel you saw it and rejoiced why, why then you why should uh, would you sin against innocent blood by putting david to death for no reason Saul listened to the voice of jonathan and Saul vowed as the lord lives david shall not be put to death then David called, excuse me, Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him these words, all these words. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. When there was war again, David went out and fought the Philistines and defeated them with a great slaughter so that they fled from him. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord on Saul as he was sitting in his house with a spear in his hand, and David was playing the harp with his hand. And Saul tried to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he escaped from Saul's presence, so that the, so that so he struck the spear, or stuck the spear, into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to, to put him to death in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, informed him, saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And Michal took the household idol and laid it on the bed and put a quilt of goat's hair on at its head and covered it with clothing. When Saul was to take David, he said, He is sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up up to me on his bed, so that I may put him to death. When the messengers entered, behold, the household idol was on the bed with the the quilt of goat's hair at his head. So Saul uh, said to Michael, Why have you betrayed me like this and let my enemy go? So that he has escaped. And Mikal said to Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should why sh- should I put you to death? So David fled and escaped, and came to Samuel and Ramah, of everything that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel. Went and stayed at Nayoth. Nai, but it was reported to Saul saying, "Behold, David is at Naioth at Ramah." And uh, then Saul sent messengers to take David, but when they saw the company of prophets prophesying, with Samuel standing and presiding over them, the spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they all they also prophesied. Then Saul was informed of this he, excuse me, when, when Saul was informed of this, he sent other messengers, but they also prophesied. So Saul sent messengers again the third time, yet they prophesied. Then he went to Rama himself and became and came as far as the large well that is in Seiku, and he asked where is are Samuel and David. And someone said, Behold, they are at Nayoth at Ramah. So he proceeded there to Nayoth in Ramah, but the Spirit of God came upon him also, so that he went along prophesying continually until he came to Nayoth in Ramah. He also stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel in lay down naked all that day and all night. Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Samuel chapter 20. Then David fled from Nayoth and Ramah, and he came and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father, that he is seeking my life? he said to him far from it you shall far from it you shall not die behold my father does nothing either great or small without informing me so why would your father hide this thing from me it is not so yet david vowed again saying your father is well aware that i have found favor in your sight and he has said jonathan is not to know this otherwise he will be worried. But indeed, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is a there is just a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. So David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I am obligated to sit down to eat with the king. But let me go so that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly requested leave me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it's the yearly sacrifice there for the whole family. If he says that is good, your servant will be safe. But if he is angry, if he's very angry, be aware that he has decided on evil. So deal kindly with your servant for you have put your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if I am guilty of wrongdoing, kill me yourself. For why then should you bring me to your father? Jonathan said, "Far be it from you. For if I have, for if I, in fact, that my father has decided to inflict harm on you, would I not inform you?" when David said to Jonathan, excuse me, then David said to Jonathan, who will inform me if your father answers you you harshly? Jonathan said to David, come and let's go out to the field. So both of them went out to the field. Then Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel is my witness. When I have sounded out my father, when I have excuse me when I have sounded out my father about this about this time tomorrow or the third day behold if he is if he has a good feeling towards you shall I not send word to you and inform you if it pleases my father to do you harm may the lord do so to me and more so if i fail to inform you and send you away so that you may go in safely and may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And if I am still alive, will you not show me the faithfulness of the Lord so that I do not die? And you shall never cut off your loyalty to my house. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of, you, of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord demand it from the hands of David's enemies. And Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed since your seat will be empty." When you have stayed for three days, you shall go down quickly and come to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day. And you shall remain beside the stone Azel. And I will shoot three arrows to the side, as though I shot at, the, at a target. Then, behold, I will send the boy, telling telling him, go, find the arrows. If I specifically say to the boy, behold, the arrows are on this side of you, get them, then come, because it is safe for you to for you, and there is nothing to harm you, as the Lord lives. But if I say to the youth, behold, the arrows are be- beyond you, go, go, because the Lord has sent you away. As for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid himself in. In the field and when the new moon came the king sat down to eat food now the king sat on his as usual the seat by the wall then jonathan stood up and abner sat down by saul's side but david's place was empty nevertheless saul did not say anything that day because he thought it must it must have been an accident he is uh he's not clean undoubtedly he's not clean But it came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty again. So Saul said to his son Jonathan, Why has the son of Jesse not come to the meal, either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly requested leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Please let me go, because our family has a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has ordered me to attend. So now, if I have found favor in your sight, please let me slip away so that I may see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, You are, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman? Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Yeshe to your own shame? And to the shame of your, of your of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Yeshay lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now then, send men and bring him to me, for he is doomed to die. But Jonathan replied to his father, Saul, and said to him, Why must he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike and kill him. So Jonathan knew that his anger, or his father, excuse me, had decided to put David to death. Then Jonathan got up from the table in the heat of anger. And David did not eat food on the second day of the new moon because he was worried about David, since his father had insulted him. Now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out to the field at the time agreed upon with David, and the and a little boy was with him. And he said to the boy, run, find now the arrows which I'm about to shoot. The boy ran, and he shot an arrow past him. When the boy reached the location of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, is the arrow not beyond you? Then Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. And Jonathan Jonathan's boy picked up the arrow and came to his master. But the boy was not aware of anything and David knew about the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go bring them to the city. When the boy was was gone, David got up from the south side. Then he fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. They kissed each other and wept together until David wept immeasurably. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in safety, since we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord will be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants forever. So David sent out and went on his way while Jonathan went into the city. Okay, now I'm going to read Psalm chapter 11 now. This is Again, what we're doing here is we are reading a little bit more of a um, chronological reading plan. So Psalm 11 would would fit along this chronological t- timeline. Um, the Lord, a refuge and defense. This is Psalm 11, verse one. In the Lord, I took. I I will. I take refuge. How can I say to my, excuse me, how can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have set their arrow on the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyes test the sons of mankind the lord tests the righteous and the wicked and his soul hates one who loves violence he will rain coals of fire upon the wicked and brimstone and burning wind will be their portion will be the portion of their cup for the lord is righteous he loves righteousness the upright will see his face and again the upright here very uh, let me just quickly this is Psalm 11, verse 7. Okay, hold on a second. Psalm 11, verse 7. Uh, we'll go to upright. Yashar, again, Yashar. Very similar to the Siddiq righteous, the Yashar, the upright. The upright will see God's face. It is possible to be upright. So let's read Psalm Fifty nine, Psalm fifty nine, verse one, for the director of music to the tune of "Do Not Destroy." Actually, well, let's let's check it out in, um, in this particular uh, website here. For the director of music set to the Tasha Tashit a, mick th- a, mick th- a mick Tom, of David when Saul sent men and they watched the house in order to kill him. Okay. Um so in the in the footnotes, director for the director, excuse me, for the music director set to literally do not destroy is what it means. all a miktam of David, miktam possibly epigramic, epigrammatic uh, poem or atonement psalm. When Saul sent men, and they watched the house in order to kill him, and this is this is what we read just um, a little while ago. There, First Samuel chapter nineteen, verse eleven. Um, and let's just, again, go back here and check it out. Psalm chapter 19, verse 11. We read this earlier. Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. Okay, so that's what that psalm is, is or this psalm, I should say. Psalm 59 is about. Rescue me from my enemies, my God. Send Set me securely on high away from those who rise up against me. Rescue me from those who practice injustice and save me from men of bloodshed. For behold, they have set an ambush for my life. Fierce men attack me, not for my wrongdoing nor for my sin, Lord. No guilt of mine. They run and take their stand against me. Stir yourself to, to help me and see you, Lord God of armies, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be gracious to any who deal treacherously in wrongdoing. Selah. They return at evening. They howl like a dog and prowl around the city. Behold, they, ne- they, g- they gush forth with their mouths. Swords are in their lips for they say who hears you lord laugh at them you scoff at all the nations because of his strength i will watch for you for the lord for god is my refuge my god is his in, my god in his faithfulness will meet me god will let me look triumphant triumphantly upon my enemies do not kill them or my people will forget. Scatter them by your power and bring them down, Lord, our shield. On account of, their, of the sin of their mouths and the words of their lips, may they even be caught in their pride. And on account of curses and lies which they tell, destroy them in wrath. Destroy them so they will no longer exist so that people may know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth, Selah. They return at evening. They howl like a dog and prowl around the city. They wander about for, for food and murmur if they are not satisfied. But as for me, I will sing. Of your strength. Yes, I will joyfully sing of your faithfulness in the morning, for you have been my refuge and a place of my refuge on the day of my distress. My strength, I will sing praises to you, for God is my refuge, the God who shows me favor. So that apparently is supposed to be the song, the psalm that David sung. In that instance, First Samuel chapter 21, David takes consecrated bread. We know this is a story that's referred to by Yeshua. Then, then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has commissioned me. With a matter, and and has said to me, no one is to know anything about the matter on which I am sending you, and with which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me some bread or whatever can be found. The priest answered David and said, there is no ordinary bread on hand. But there is consecrated bread, if only the young men uh, have kept themselves from women. David answered the priest and said to him, Be assured, women have been denied to us as previously when I left, and the bodies of the young men were consecrated, though it was an ordinary journey. How much more than will, will their bodies be consecrated today? So the priest gave him consecrated bread. For there was no bread there except the bread of the presence, which was removed from its place before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place on the day it was taken away. Now, one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Ahimelech, Just a second here. David said to Ahimelech, Now is there no spear or sword on hand? For I I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's matter was urgent. Then the priest said, the sword of of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah. Behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the Aphon. If you would take it for yourself, take it. For there there is no other except it there. And David said, there is none like it. Give it to me. Then David set out and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, King of Gath. But the servants of Akish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of what of did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has, sl- has slain his thousands, and David his tens thousands? David took these words to heart and greatly feared Akish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity while in their sight and acted in their custody. And he and he scribbled on the doors of the gate and drooled on his beard. Then Akish said to his servants, look, you see the man is behaving like an insane person. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack insane people that you have brought this one to behave like an insane person in my presence? What shall one Or shall this one come into my house? 1 Samuel chapter 22. So David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard about it, they went down there to him. Then everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented tented gathered them, and he and he became captain over them now there were about 400 men with him and david went from there to Mizpah of moab and he said to the king of moab please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until i know what god will do for me then he left them with the with the king of moab and they stayed with him all the time that david was in the stronghold Gad the prophet said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, leave and go into the land of Judah. So David left and went into the forest of Herath. Then Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was in Gibeah, sitting under a tamarisk tree on the the height of his spear, or excuse me, on the height with his spear in his hand. And all his servants were standing in front of him. Saul said to his servants who were who were standing in front of him, Hear now, you Benjaminites. Will the son of Yeshe really give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? For all of you have conspired against me, so that there is none, there's no one who informs me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Yeshe, and there is none of you who cares about me or informs me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush, as it is this day. Then Doeg, the Edomite, who was standing in front of the servants of Saul, responded and said, I saw the son of Yesheh coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub. And he inquired of the Lord for him gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent a messenger to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's household. The priests who were in Nob, and all of them came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitub. And he replied, Here I am, my lord. Saul Saul then said to him, Why have you, the son of Yesheh, conspired against me, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and acquired of God for him, so that he would rise up against me in lying in the bush, as it is this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, the king's own son-in-law, who is commander over your bodyguard and is honored in your house? Did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything against his servant or anything or against any of the household of my father, because your servant knows nothing at all of, his, of this whole affair. But the king said, You shall certainly die, Ahimelech, you and all your house your father's household. And the king said to the guards who were attending him. Turn around and put put the, the priests of the Lord to death because their hand also is with David and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not inform me. The servants of the king were unwilling to reach out with their hands to the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doeg, you, turn around and attack the priests. Doeg the Edomite turned around and attacked the priests and he killed on that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also struck Nob, the city of the priests, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants. He also struck oxen, donkeys, and sheep with the edge of the sword. But one son of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, or Abiathar escaped and fled to David. Abiathar informed David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, that he would certainly tell Saul, I myself have turned against every person in your father's household. Stay with me. Do not be afraid. Even though he, is, he who is seeking my life is seeking your life, for you are safe with me. Samuel chapter 23. Then they informed David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Kayla, and are plundering the threshing floors. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kayla." But David's men said to him, Behold, we are fearful here in Judah. How much more, then? if we go to Calah against the ranks of the Philistines. So David inquired of the Lord once more, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Calah, for I am going to the land, or to the hand, excuse me, I am for I am going to the hand, I'm going to hand. <laughs> Let me try that again. For I am going to hand the Philistines over to you. Then David and his men went to Cala and fought the Philistines and he drove away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. So David said uh, saved, so David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it came about when Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Kala, that he came down with an aphod in his hand. When it was reported to Saul that David had come to Kala, Saul said, God has handed him over to me, for he shut himself in by entering the city with double gates and bars. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Calah to besiege David and and his men. But David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. And he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, The Lord God of Israel, your servant, has, has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. Will the citizens of Kayla hand hand me over to him? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? The Lord God of Israel, please, please, Lord God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the citizens of Calah hand me and and my men over to Saul? And the Lord said, They will hand you over. Then David and his men, about 600 men, rose up and departed from Calah, and they went wherever they they could go. When it was reported to Saul that David had escaped from Calah, he gave up the pursuit. David stayed in the wilderness, in the strongholds, and remained in the hill country in in the wilderness of Ziph, And Saul searched him every day, but God did not hand him over to him. Now David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Zeph at at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, set out and went to David at Horesh and and encouraged him in God. He said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. And you will be king over Israel, and I will be second in, in command to you. And Saul, my father, knows that very well. So the two men of the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horesh while Jonathan went to his house. The Zephites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not keeping himself hidden with us in the strongholds at Horesh? on the hill of Hakilah, which is south of jesimon now then o king come down since you fully desire to do so and our part shall shall be to hand him over to the king saul said may you be blessed of the lord since you since you have you have had compassion on me go now Be more persistent and investigate and see his place where he is hiding. And who has seen him there? For I am told that he is very cunning. So look and learn about all the hiding places where he keeps himself hidden. And return to me with certainty, and I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the the thousands of Judah. So they set out and went to Zeph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Yeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they informed David and came down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when, and when Saul heard about it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain and David was hurrying to get away from Saul while Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men and his men to apprehend them but a messenger came to Saul saying hurry and come for the Philistines have launched an attack against the land so Saul returned from pursuing David and went to confront the Philistines therefore they called that place the rock of division And David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds of En Gedi. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Now when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, it was reported to him saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to search for David and his men in front of the rocks of the mountain goats. And he came to the sheepfolds on the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. But David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. Then David's men said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to hand your enemy over to you, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David got up and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. And it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I would do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to reach out with my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. Quickly here. Notice, just want to take a moment. Notice, as evil as Saul was, as evil as Saul was, David still honored that he was the Lord's anointed. Also as well, this goes to show how David was in line with the Torah, especially in regards to uh, not holding a grudge, Loving your neighbor as yourself, doing good to your enemies, you know. Exodus chapter 23, Leviticus chapter 19. David walked in grace. He walked in love. He could have done whatever he wanted to with Saul right there. Saul was he, Saul was given over to David's hand. David chose not to do anything, but rather just to get some evidence that he could have done something to, to Saul. Verse seven, and David rebuked his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul got up, left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, however, David got up and went out of the cave and called, out, called after Saul saying, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to Saul, why did you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David is seeking to harm you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the, that the Lord had, had handed you over to me today in the cave, and someone said to kill you, but I spared you, and I said, I will not reach out my with my hand against my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. So, my father, look, indeed, look at the edge of your robe in my hand, for By the fact that I cut off the edge of your robe, but did not kill you, know and understand that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the the Lord take vengeance on you for me. But my hand shall not be against you. Look at that, isn't that awesome? So, David basically prayed in front of Paul, Saul, I should say, saying, The Lord take vengeance on you, the Lord take vengeance on you, as the proverb of the ancients says, Out of the wickedness comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom? Has the has the king of Israel gone out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and decide between me and you. And may he see and plead my, my cause. And save me from your hand. When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, It's your voice, my son David. Then Saul raised his voice and wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me, but I have dealt maliciously with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord handed me over to you, and yet you did not kill me. Though if a man finds his enemy, uh, will will he let him go unharmed? I guess the answer is yes if you're following the Torah. May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Now, behold, I know that you will certainly be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. Now, I swear, so now, swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me in that you will not eliminate my name from my father's household. And David swore an oath to Saul, and Saul went to his home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. And that concludes our reading for 1 Samuel chapter 24. So that concludes our reading. We'll do this tomorrow for Samuel chapter 25 and onward. That concludes our portion today. Okay, so going back to the chat, I see we have lots of stuff in the chat here. Again, um, any questions for me? Just put at Christopher in there. One John two twenty six says. Did you know that Ron Wyatt also claims that Goliath's sword is under uh, the Temple Mount with the Ark? Um, I, I don't remember that, but it doesn't. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, Ron Wyatt found everything according to according to him. He found everything, every relic, every relic of the Bible. Uh, Ron Wyatt found. Of course, um, I do not believe that. Um, I believe that Ron White is a very well-meaning gentleman. And people think that he's I don't understand that people think that he's a very humble man, but but a lot of people need to understand that you can you can cry and you can you can talk softly and still not be humble especially if you claim that you found every relic, every major relic, basically, of the Old Testament. And I'm not sure how many of the New Testament he claims that he found too, but it's very, very important as believers, you and I, everyone within the sound of my voice, that we all really seek truth and that, we're, that we really apply good critical thinking skills to everything good critical thinking skills to everything and that would help us to weed out the false the false narrative um, a lot of people are, are sucked in a lot of people believe just because someone gets emotional and so but I think it's very important to understand what what real what good evidence is. What is good evidence? I tell you one thing. If I found, if I was in a cave and I found any, if I found a cave full of old relics, um, I wouldn't just leave it and lose it. I wouldn't leave it and lose it and forget all about it and don't even know where it was after that without any witnesses or without any pictures or nothing like that. You know, if I claim to have the blood of Jesus, I would keep it. You know, if I claimed to go to this certain lab, I would make sure I got the documentation. I got the proof of it. Uh, you know, so. And I, I heard the I heard all of the. Um, I heard all of the uh, I, I shouldn't say all because people can make, make up stuff all the time, right? People can make up stuff all the time. But I heard a lot of arguments in his favor. And I still don't think that any of it holds water. Like, well, somebody stole it. Well, somebody stole it. Well, like anybody can say that. So give me, give me evidence that someone stole it. Give me good evidence. Mike says, do you think he found Mount Sinai? Um <laughs> I think that mount sinai was never lost i mean we have uh, the church um the synatic the church at the the base of mount sinai today that you can go to Uh, that's where the uh, codex synaticus was found right the oldest bible in the world was found um and that was that was never lost that's that was in operation that church was in operation hundreds and hundreds how many hundreds of years um just, just quickly here, Codex Sinaticus. So that church was in operation way before Ron White was ever was ever even a thought in his parents' mind. Um, Saint Catherine's Monastery—that's what it's called. So we got Saint Catherine's Monastery here, uh, and so that was founded, like this established, like you know. Fifteen, nearly what, fifteen hundred years ago. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I don't think Mount. I, I I'm not sure where Riot. I mean why Wyatt it, why it claims everything. Beware of, of anybody who's who, like that. Beware of anybody who claims you know that they found everything or that they know everything or whatever the case is, right? Or that they even if someone comes and says you know I got every every single book of of, you know, of the Bible, every, every lost book. Well, I don't think you do. In the way God works, he never does this, right? God would never show everything to one man. That would just puff him up with pride too much. That would just exalt him too much. If it doesn't puff him up with pride in his own heart, if that doesn't lift him up with pride in his own heart, and then and then you know because a lot of people that are really proud have a false humility among them you know i mean they have a lot there's a lot of proud people there's a lot of people with a lot of pride in them that that really has a lot of false humility they portray themselves as humble they can cry they can you know talk quietly but don't be deceived don't be deceived um uh, God would never do that. Even even if it was a humble man, God would not show everything. God would not like point, take a man and say, you know, this particular man, I'm going to reveal all of the ancient relics, everything to this man. If for no other reason, because you know, just just to make sure that nobody worships that man. God never done that not even jesus claimed that not even peter james or john ever claimed to have to have found all the relics no not none of them no no apostle or prophet or priest or saint or i mean none no prophet no man of god in the bible or just a, wherever claims that god 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 just doesn't work that way he works as a body. If he if he really wanted people to know, okay, here's the sword of Goliath and here's the, the wheels of the chariots of, again, wheels of the chariots. Um, the chances of the chariots or the wheels, very, very slim anyway, very, very slim. Again, if, uh, if the grand staircase of the Titanic, which was probably made of some really good hardwood, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't know all the specifics of the Titanic construction, but I wouldn't doubt it was made of some really good hardwood material, not like, I don't think it would be made of birch, let me put it that way, or pine, okay? I think it would be made of some really good wood, really good hardwood. Um, And even that luxurious, huge, grand staircase just disappeared in in the water uh so they say that it could have just rotted away you know the sea life could have you know it just broke up floated away and and just became like driftwood whatever the case um yeah so if god wanted to re- to, to reveal to uh to reveal all of his relics i believe he would do so in a cor- in a Think corporately. He would take his entire, body. he would take a thousand, ten thousand of his people, and just one relic each, so that nobody's all puffed up, and so that nobody, you know, puts anybody up on a pedestal and says, "Oh, I look at how good I am. I found everything." Um, okay, so as I said there earlier, this coming Friday special uh, is a special day we have another guest with us uh we had uh we had a guest there yesterday with us we have someone from the other end of the spectrum uh with us on friday evening and so um uh mr jackson snyder mr jackson snyder see if i can um you're welcome mike mike says thank you you're welcome mike that's my two cents, anyway. Jackson Snyder, um, just to give you guys a little bit of an idea of Jackson Snyder, just going to read a little bit of an about. Uh, so Jackson Snyder, I'm just I'm reading what he wrote about himself here. He said, "I am a scholar, composer, author, podcaster." and pastoral minister. Okay, so um, he says here, if you are interested in biblical difficulties or obscurities, current events, or unorthodox music, you have come to the right place. Okay, so um, that's a sneak peek into uh, who Mr. Jackson Snyder is. He will be with us Friday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern. I think you guys will find him very, very intriguing. Um, I have listened to some of his material before, and uh, yeah, so uh, he'll be with us to share um, to share with us, and uh, you can ask him questions. I'm sure I'll probably have some questions for him as well. Um, and uh, it's going to be a great night, Friday evening. Until then, as far as I can see. Um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday will be regular nights like it was tonight. We'll be reading scripture, and uh, and, and question and answers like that as well. Saturday, we'll see how it goes. Um, thinking maybe shoot for another uh, open mic kind of day on Saturday, where people uh, would be just you know welcome to come on, share their testimony or or challenge me, whatever they want to do and uh, see how that goes. Okay, guys. Once again, thank you very much for your fellowship. Thank you for your questions and your comments. I appreciate every one of you guys. You guys are awesome. As always, I pray for each one of you, that the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. See you again tomorrow night.